Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. And today I have special guest and also mega rock star, Laura Conrad, who's a security architect. She's just uh, super cool. And uh, how many years of uh, have you been doing this this whole IT security business? I've been in IT since 94. Don't date me. I was a child labor candidate. <laughs> um, uh, but 2015, I took an official uh, security role. So infrastructure before that. Correct. Right. So you don't understand systems and right. Okay. So I bring this up just because I feel like if people are going to be security architects, they have to understand, you know, systems. And now the other day you and I were having a conversation about, um, Kerberos, uh, NTLM, SMB signing and interesting things like that. Right. And I think, I feel like the necessity of a security architect skill set to be able to look at a risk and look at the mitigation for it. And typically that oftentimes ends up being like a, a configuration change. But in order to get that configuration change shepherded through the organization, you have to be able to predict to a reasonable degree the impact, right? I, I'll say straight up, I don't think you can ever 100% guarantee anybody what the impact is going to be. You know, the organization has to accept that in order to mitigate risk or reduce risk or to close gaps, uh, some risk of being inconvenienced will need to be accepted in order to get that change in place. So um, talk to me a little bit about, about that, like this adventure of the security architect of, you know, assess and we find these issues and then we're now trying to get that through the organization, because I feel like that's really tied straight into the whole CISO workflow process. I personally feel um, the most important thing in the security architect role for me is to look at the vulnerability, look at the likelihood and the impact and assess them and accurately portray the risk. Don't hype it up. Don't, you know, uh, you know, wash it under the Rock, you know, make it true to what it is, and then clearly communicate that to the CISO so that he can say, you know, with integrity when he's trying to communicate to the business areas they need to work on, um, he can present those things. And I think the challenge is going into an organization and understanding all the interdependencies and knowing, you know, hey, this one web server. Well, yeah, it's just this web server, but it also is the API gateway that, you know, runs the entire business, the backend business, right? So understanding how the systems interact and what the, the real potential could be. So, uh, but I, I think measuring risk is probably the most important uh, thing we do as, you know, also included in that is secure engineering, right? Getting in front of the projects and helping engineers design systems with security by design and putting the controls around them from the get-go because it's always easier to architect it from the beginning than it is to come back and retroactively fix it. Oh, yes. A hundred times yes. <laughs> yeah. So risk ranking or ranking the risk, um, and, and that can be, I think that formula can be unique per organization. Yeah, um, 
I think it needs to be, right? So I would take uh, any industry information I could get, you know, CVSS, whatever's out there, right, on the scoring. And then I'd run it through um, a rubric of my own. Okay, is this exposed to the internet? If it is, is pre-authentication required or is it unauthenticated access? Because, you know, the, the risk isn't the same, right? Because if you've gotten past, you know, your... SSO, your SAML, you know, and you maybe provided MFA, that's a certain level of risk, not the same as your, you know, wide open websites. So um, yeah, prioritizing them in that kind of ranking. You know, it's interesting. I've had so many business people tell me that they think that their website, their public facing website is as long as it doesn't have like a portal on it that people are logging into and that there's sensitive data that are hosted. They seem to think it's not really that important. And I would argue, yeah, it's actually really important that you keep it secured and up to date and uh, get all the vulnerabilities off of it because your employees are probably whacking away at that website pretty regularly. You know, it might actually be the company's homepage that they deliver to uh, all of the workstations and then the environment, you know, and certainly it's the thing that your customers are going to be seeing quite frequently. So what are your thoughts? The, the Even worse than that are when they say, well, it's just dev, it's just QA. Well, oh, did yeah. you use production data? Well, well, yeah, I mean, because, you know, <laughs> There's no, we don't have a tool to obfuscate that. So yeah, well, you should protect it to the integrity of the original system. Why does it need to be unauthenticated access? Why can't you put that, you know, the developers have to authenticate to get to it. So um, yeah, I, I, I love the argument. Well, this server is not that important. Well, don't worry about it. They're going to skip past that and pivot into the environment and use that as a stepping stone. Don't worry. They're going to take, yeah. you know more uh, crown jewels than that. Well, I got another good one for you on the public facing website, vendor risk assessment. Right? How many times or, or customers are risk assessing their vendors? And I know whenever I'm considering doing business with somebody, I'm gonna go look at their DMARC, DCAM, SPF. I'm gonna go look at their website. I'm gonna Vuln scan that website. I'm gonna do all kinds, you know, I'll, I'll be looking into it because boy, if they do a poo poo job of all of that, Oh, they do a poo-poo job of all kinds of stuff. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, just like the a scoring. The scoring, um, at least for scorecard, is changing significantly this year. So, you know, if you have park domains, you know how the, there was a, a time earlier in the internet when uh, your brand managers and your marketing and those groups were going out and standing up, you know, grabbing as many domains as they could and dot racks and all this stuff. And then, you know, some of it, they left parked. Well, now those things do have an impact on your external uh, maturity score, if you will. So I feel like there's a lot of that, um, at least in the vendor risk, when you're the vendor, um, people are going to have to start cleaning up. They're going to care because cyber insurance is now looking at those scoring, you know, in, in, evaluating your premium. So. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So that's a fascinating pivot because I've been long advocating bifurcation in the domain hierarchy on many levels. Like you should use this domain and I'll, I'll not the TLD, right. But like the root vanity domain, 
not a subdomain, but the root vanity domain, use it for one purpose, use another one for another purpose, because if you can take, I mean, first off, you would always want to separate your marketing from your infrastructure, right? Because if some bad mojo happens with your marketing stuff, you don't need it whacking your infrastructure. Like my, the, the infrastructure notification emails, I do not want those to be coming from or related to the same domain as, you know, brand, public facing brand, uh, because, you know, for the obvious reasons, you don't want to have a situation where your domain gets black holed and then, well, all your infrastructure. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, the internet is down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, companies have hundreds of domains that they've effectively abandoned. They're just, they're paying for them, but they're not doing anything with, and they're, they're low hanging fruit because they're not pointing to your network. They're not, you know, the exposure isn't there, but they're affecting your score. So it's time to care about hygiene and it's time to care about the little things because the little things, like you said, are a good indicator of how you care about the important things too. Right. So so I'll take the hygiene piece a little step further, which is uh, it's not just about you know hygiene to me, although that's absolutely relevant. It's you can't secure and you can't monitor the uptime of or simply keep it working when you don't have an inventory of it. So right. when the, I mean, like security starts with inventory, right? Security 101 is inventory 101. So in the realm of an organization that lacks a procurement policy, and they just allow willy-nilly, you know, Joe Snuffy to go buy uh, of domains that will, you know, they think that, oh, I'll save money. I'll just do this myself. I won't put that request in with the IT department. I'll just do that myself, you know? Well, what they just did was just like what you said earlier, it's way easier to do it right the first time than to go back and retrofit it. Now you have to do this remediation project and we did an enormous re- remediation project that was just an abysmal mess of over a hundred domains that all had to get corrected. And so the amount of time that was involved with that clearly had the organization simply had a procurement policy and had simply had a, a competent domain hosting vendor, a competent DNS hosting vendor that actually met a specified set of documented requirements, including MFA, including role-based access control, including, right, you know, uh, it logging, compliance logging, security logging, right? Um, if they would have done that from the very beginning, then all of that mess wouldn't have happened, which is... I want to pivot back to the whole CISO and security architect thing. See, I think CISOs and security architects, by and large, understand this. Too many organizations are engaging in these failed decision-making practices that live, like, well, I'll just have the IT manager do that, or, you know, the IT director can do that. There seems to be this, like, thought process that they're just going to, you know, like, if it's, if it's, if it looks like it's technology something, then somebody in IT can do it. Like, I got a request for, um, from a division president to provide credentials to external marketing company to his LinkedIn company page, his Facebook company page, and his some other social media. And and I looked at the actual request and I said, first off, if you actually have a marketing agency that's actually asking for your credentials, you should just fire them now. (laughs) 
I think he got fished. You shouldn't do business with these people, right? But now let's take it a step further, which is how did why is this an IT request? Why would the IT department have a have an inventory of his credentials to his assets? It's ridiculous, right? I mean, that's not an IT request. And the fact that he doesn't have an inventory of his own business assets, bad, right? Like, How can he even report what... he's lost control of that and there's an exposure if he doesn't even know what they are? I said, do you even know what the actual URLs for the resources are? And he's like, no. And I'm like, my head just detached. And did you did you onboard SSO when you you stood up this thing so that we can at least when an account gets disabled ensure it doesn't have access anymore yeah so there's it's just you know cleaning up stuff after the fact is just it's so much it's so expensive and the frustration i have is when you know organizations are lacking this operational maturity piece to just do it right to begin with and it's like they get all this pressure from sales gotta do it fast gotta do it fast you know gotta do we can't do it right, but we can do it fast. And then they get mad when when IT is, you know, racking up huge numbers of hours to try to fix problems that IT didn't create. Right. I think, you know, like the, um, the standing up the domains or, uh, you know, a business unit, Europe or, or sales or whatever comes and says, hey, um, we want this thing, but you guys are too busy. You're not prioritizing it. We're just going to we're going to be innovative. We're going to go fast. And they go find a vendor, right? Going back and saying, okay, here's the controls. DNS must be us, right? I don't care what domain you have, but because we've got all these domains you find and we're not the DNS provider. So the site gets compromised. We, yeah. IT doesn't even know who to call for support. Exactly. You stood this up. You, yep. you met somebody in your private life and their kid developed websites and you're like hey i can get a really good deal and then you leave the company and we're like hey this thing's garbage what do we do mm, i don't know <laughs> i mean Her you story. know unfortunately there's a lot of that right and and so that's actually something we're working on right now we wrote up a, a minimum requirements if you want to go fast and you want to do this well hey guess what you're going to sign here that you're responsible for the vulnerability management side of this. So we, any URL on any domain, we're going to scan. And if we find findings, you are going to be the point of contact. And there's a timer. You're going to have to go make sure that those get fixed because you have the contract, hopefully, with the, the person who created it or the person or persons that are going to accept the responsibility for vulnerability mitigation and but i don't care what you do with the domain we're going to be dns because at the end of the day if this thing becomes you know infected we're going to take you offline otherwise See, we I, have nothing i do care about the domain because the, the domain is ownership and and if you don't have the domain you can't ensure that it's renewed properly so that your resources don't right. go down. You know, and I actually encountered that situation uh, in the last six months where four business critical websites for a client, they went down. Why? Well, they went down because prior IT 
didn't do anything in a documented way and there was no policy, there was no standard, uh, there was no procedure, you know, and, and just, you know, chaos ensued. And worse yet, the way that it was actually originally set up is it was tied to his email address. Okay, this whole thing of like tying a business process to an individual's email address is just insane. Can we please stop? Can we all just please stop with that insanity? Now, I'm not talking about there being one username and password to log into the DNS management console. No, no, that's not acceptable. I'm no, talking but, about- But the email address of DNS at domain.com. Yes. yes. Webmaster, you know, all yes. the- this, yeah. this should be part of a business process workflow. And I encountered this even with another client I was working with where their WordPress plugin that was critical on their website just up and puked out. And they weren't getting the email renewals. And they, you know, and, and why? Well, because again, the person who originally set it up, set it up not to a business continuity email address that was associated with a process but it was to an individual, you know, and I just don't ever see the awareness or the ability to articulate the necessity of these strategies occurring at like the IT manager, IT director level, let alone IT support, you know, like they don't, they don't pump the brakes. They see tickets coming in and they're like, okay, well, you know, my objective in life is to close tickets. So they just give the possible. Yeah. And, and so then they just close, they just do whatever the end users want. I mean, there's so many times, oh, I got to tell you this story. This is hilarious. This is because it's very em emblematic of it. Uh, I got a, a ticket escalated to me that was um, associated with web content filtering. And they were like, well, we can't get to Google voice. And I'm like, are you supposed to get to Google voice? <laughs> what do you do with Google voice? Well, we're using it to uh, SMS with our customers. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, last time I checked, uh, your company had a vetted standard for the SMS application that was mandated by company policy is the SMS application that's going to be used because that's associated with, you know, discovery and legal retention requirements and business continuity processes, you know, and, um, and so yeah, but that call center doesn't have phones in there and they got to have a shared way to get the MFA. <laughs> well, well, so the, they come back to me and they said, well, we don't like the company's MFA solution. Mm. They literally told me that. And so I said, well, that's not my problem. <laughs> if, you, if you don't like it, then you need to talk to your boss who will talk to their boss, who will talk to the owner of the company, and then you can hash it out there. Because at the end of the day, that is, there's an established policy around that. And you as an employee, and you're violating not, it. Yeah, yeah, you don't get to decide you're going to use Google Voice because you don't like the company SMS platform. But my point is simply that the ticket had to get to me and my role was as the CISO. I'm not even kidding you when I tell you that nobody stopped that before me. What happens if you get a ticket that says, yeah, I'd like uh, access to the CEO's mailbox. I'm doing some analytics stuff. Is anybody going to stop that? Is anybody um, going to think twice? Um, I've seen those tickets. <laughs> I've seen those tickets. 
Yes. Um, the the ones that I absolutely loathe to the nth degree are forward Bob's email to me. Yeah. No, He's no, going I'm on not. vacation and I need to keep an eye on his mailbox. Can I just have his password? There's a, a nope. dude who went on vacation and that's um, <laughs> some perceived way. Like, well, we don't want to talk to IT about the right way to do this. No. So so the discussion was the the dude who went on vacation, he was mandated to give his password to somebody else who was logging into his computer every day. You know, I mean, it's like the, the, the reality that I'm seeing out there is that I'm going to put a percentage on my guess, but I want your figure on this. My guess is 95% of security risks are HR management issues. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the pressure to go fast, make it easy. User experience is the biggest word salad of garbage. It's like the arch nemesis of security. Well, we don't want to do that because the user experience is bad. Okay, so we don't want it to be secure. <laughs> we want it to be a good experience. You know, you said something the other day, and it's like, look, maybe it was in your one of your podcasts, but you had said, even at the highest level, you know, sometimes they're like, well, that's good for the, the little people, but, you know, I'm an executive. Right. I shouldn't be inconvenienced. And it's like that right. little bit of inconvenience for what the security it provides you know i think you might have been talking well, about be business email compromise yeah so my right? my position on that is basically that the policy of the company has to be that no one no you know individuals inconvenience or desire to be um not inconvenienced uh, is more important than the security policy of the company and and i don't care vip status or what but the fundamental problem we encounter is you you get these VIPs that just become emotionally unhinged. I feel like it's the same exact thing that gets security leadership in trouble when, you know, reporting the news to executives, right? It's you, you get in a situation where, you've got an unhinged VP. I need to do this now from my iPad because I'm going on vacation. And there's such a pressure to uh, comply. Right. And right. I feel like uh, if you don't have a culture that says, hey, we're going to do the right thing for the right sake, you might get a leader who's maybe not willing to report the news exactly uh, as it is, you know, try and soften it. Well, or or worse, because they think it reflects negatively on them, you know, and I don't know a security department anywhere that uh, it's their fault that their SAP or their ERP isn't patched. No, no. Why would you be afraid to report that information? And it, it, as unpleasant as it is to say, hey, you know, the business, the applications that run your entire business are end of life and you've got a giant mess and all your contracts coming in say you're going to be patched within 30 days for critical vulnerabilities. I'm sorry, you have a problem. Why is that security? Security didn't put that in. They don't maintain it. But yet there are a lot of leaders out there 
in the security space that probably want to soften that because they don't want to look like if the security scores are low, is that a negative reflection on me? Well, so I, I think that this all goes back to leadership, leadership, leadership. And I think the fundamental responsibility of owners of a company uh, and the executive management team is to set that tone. And if they tolerate and appease non-compliance with the company policy, or if they tolerate disagreement amongst themselves, I feel like they're abdicating their responsibility to all of their stakeholders. So stakeholders could be, you know, their customers, their employees, the community, their vendors, their stockholders, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, the, the executive management team and the owners, which is sometimes two different, you know, two different groups of people have a fundamental responsibility to be on the same page. So, you know, I mean, I, and I see this fairly frequently where they're not on the same page and it creates no end of chaos on the inside of an organization, right? So now other leaders can't get appropriate prioritization from upper leadership because they're on different pages. And also I've seen upper leadership just be in so much, spending so much energy on hashing out their disagreements that they don't spend any energy on becoming informed about risk management decisions. You know, so they're not making the time for the things that the organization fundamentally needs them to make time for. You know, they make time for sales, right? Cause they care about sales. They care about how's our cash flow, and you know, what's our, uh, you know, balance sheet look like. Okay. They make time for those things. They're not making time for, what are my three big rocks that need to be dealt with and really putting themselves in an informed decision. So they might know about the three big rocks, but I rarely do I ever see where they choose to make the time to become adequately informed about the three big rocks. There's this pervasive attitude of wanting to delegate and then abdicate involvement. And I see that as the key foundational decision-making failure process where they're just not enabling themselves to be in an in, in a informed you know, risk management decision status. Um, I mean, I see crazy biscuits, things like here's a, you have a, an organization who uh, literally they need a cyber policy in as, as you, you articulated this before, they need that cyber policy so that they can have customer contracts, but then either the owner or one of the senior executives never even participates in the cyber awareness training platform. Well, what message is that sending to the rest of the organization when they go in there and they look and they see that, you know, the owner or the you know, head of the company doesn't even log into the cyber awareness platform. You know, it goes back to this thing we were talking about before. It cannot be rules for thee, but not for me. It, that that just does not work. And this is this is all governance, accountability, and HR management. It's not IT security. It's not technical controls. Governance, accountability, 
and, and HR management. So thoughts. Well, you know, when I was talking earlier about uh, my, my view of uh, my role as a security architecture uh, architect is that not only do I need to deliver the news, but I need to um, also come with a solution. Unfortunately, you can't just come with the news. They expect a little more out of you. And so, um, you know, I need to give to my CISO what I think it's going to take to fix it and the teams that are involved. And I honestly think um, we should be teaching <laughs> this little bit of a side ta tangent, but um, in the CISSP and any certification where you may end up in a CISO role, I think you should be trained on communicate difficult communications, right? Because at the end of the day, when you get the infighting between the different executives you were talking about, right? I think you need to be calm and you need to keep circling back. Look, I get it, you guys. We're in the middle of an upgrade. We're business transformation is taking all of our resources. And we're trying to go as fast as we can. And we don't want to go back and fix these old systems. But you said we're not going to be live uh, on the new platform, right, for three years. Okay. Here's the gap. Here's the system. I get it. I get it. We want to go fast. We want to get this new stuff. But you can't keep this risk around. And and I think like, learning like how saying, to communicate. I want to keep driving this car, but I don't want to do any maintenance on, on okay. it. The car is on fire, but I want to go fast. I realize I may never make it to the, the end, but I want to go fast. No, but I think what they should be taught is how to, okay, but I'm just letting you know the risk. And then having a strict policy of documenting what you say, when you say it, because if CISOs are gonna end up being the scapegoat, it needs to be because derelict of duty of what they were expected. And you know, one of the things you had said is understand your role. What is your role? If your role is to communicate risk, then that's one thing. If your role as a CISO is actually a C-level employee and you're making decisions on where the resources and time and energy of the business go, that's a different issue, right? But if you communicate that risk and then later something happens, it's not. A, it shouldn't be on you. It, there should be a clear trail that says, I explained we needed to work on this, but they said business transformation was king and innovation is king and we didn't have time to work on that. And it'll work itself off if, out in five years anyway. So let's just, just go. Well, you hope that there isn't another ransomware incident in the meantime. Well, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, or or the, the breaches, you know, Uber and SolarWinds didn't have ransomware events, right? Right. I mean, it, the the exposure there wasn't that their systems were down and impacted. It was information of other people that, right. that they carelessly, you know. Oh, speaking of that, I, I got an email yesterday from um, an individual who, who used to be in an IT leadership role for a client we haven't done work for in years. And it was basically because of a mergers and acquisitions thing. And so, um, you know, he left and, uh, you know, the, the IT guy from the acquirer came in and um, that guy was incredibly arrogant 
But yet, I'll tell you one time he asked me this question. He asked me why there were two network cables that were going between the network layer security appliance and the core switch. Okay, this mm. was the question he asked me. Now, what does that tell you about his knowledge level? Mm. Tells me he wants to reduce the number of connections on that. <laughs> no, it means he doesn't understand how data flows through there. And that if you want to be able to uh, prevent, uh, unless you're going to do network resets, but if you want to be able to prevent, you need that configuration. Right. So it was link aggregation in effect. Oh, right? okay. I thought you were doing in and out IPS. Well, the, the fact of the matter is that it, it, there's any number of legitimate yeah. reasons why that would have been in place, right? And the fact that he didn't just like <laughs> have an obvious understanding of why it was like that or that that is actually or could actually be a legitimate configuration right there says to me, this is not somebody that should have anything to do with any of the networking. Uh, he proceeded to then actually go in and literally disable all of the security that was in the network layer security appliance. Um, yeah. And, and well, so I was informed that they have now actually published that they've been publicly breached. And so they had to send out information to all of their, you know, employees and customers and all the people that they had data on that, you know, they were, they were compromised. And, and all of this was just completely, uh, <laughs> completely easy to deal with. I mean, I know that even three years after we separated from them, uh, there were still 2012 R2 servers in the environment, you know, that were, I mean, just, I could go on and on and on. And just, it's preposterous that these issues continue. It's just absolutely preposterous. And, uh, and I feel like all of the, you know, I've posted this on some forums recently where a lot of times people will want to blame the IT department exclusively, but I'm like, no, what, what you hire, what you tolerate, what you establish as an executive management team with regards to your governance and accountability structure, what you establish, that's exactly what you're going to get. So if you have a, a management approach that says that, you know, we just, that's just that stupid IT stuff. We don't want to know about that. That's not important. Sales is important, right? That's, that's what's important. Sales and accounting. That's all I care about. And, you know, if they have this attitude where they then uh, delegate that annoying IT stuff to somebody and then they completely abdicate all involvement. And, and I don't, and I just want to clarify here. I'm not talking about like, they don't ever want to know what's going on. I'm saying that they never get involved to the degree to where they could actually understand risk. Well, I think that, you know, we talked to uh, previously about where security should fall in the organization, right? And um, who should it report up to? And so take a, a, an example where an IT director or, or CIO wants to upgrade their ERP system and it's millions and millions of dollars. And, and the business is like, no, we're not doing it. And, and go back and you find yourself end of life, right? If, you, if security was measuring risk and reporting news, that shouldn't be a surprise, right? And if you, if, if, 
I hear people in security always complain, oh, they did this. They, the, you know, they stood up the SQL server and they, you know, they did this thing. And it's like, well, did we ever uh, write a reference architecture or have yep. rules of engagement for them that we publish? And when there's a ticket that comes in to do X, create a new SQL server, right? Is there, a, you know, a process attached make sure you read, you know, reset the default passwords. You do these things, right? So it, part and, of it- And a process that, that, it, that uh, like a business process that forces that to be evaluated. That closes the loop to make sure the things right. got done. Right. Or a sign off from them that says, I understand my responsibility as the requester and owner of the system. Um, it's still not the same as doing a configuration you know, check to make sure it is. But, you know, so I feel like the planning part, if the security department says our goal would be for everything in the company to be uh, supported, you know, a supported yep. ecosystem, right? And of course, that's not possible. We get that, right? We have a million dollar piece of equipment in, in manufacturing that is 40 years old and it's running, you know, whatever was windows 95 let's say what whatever it's it's old and um and we're going to keep it right because it's doing the job all right what is our exception process right and in then when you find things that are outside of that exception process because we've put controls around that we've protected that thing that falls from the standard that we report that hey you know you've got 15 20 12 servers and even the extended support's about to end. You need to do something. You need a life cycle plan. This can't go on. Here's your here's your deadline. If that, I would I would like to give executive leaders some benefit of the doubt that they don't understand a lot of the nuances. And I would say CISOs need to do a really good job of communicating that, saying please put in a life cycle management policy that that the owners run every year. It says, what's your life cycle plan? Do you still need this? Not a security plan, something they do. I, I have an easy fix for this problem. I, I really do. <laughs> so when you look at, let's say a, a large organization, I'll give you 10,000 employees or larger. They probably have a CISO and they probably have a CTO or a CIO. Okay, so let's just say they have at least two of the three roles, okay? Now, let's say the CEO and the board um, think that this IT stuff is like Charlie Brown's, you know, teacher. Wah, 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 right? That's what they think. Yep. Okay, so two things need to happen. First, they need to actually try to understand. Okay, that, that's number one. The second thing that needs to happen is that given the fact that they're never going to be able to have my level of knowledge or yours, okay, they need to use a different approach to decision-making. And that approach is saying, hey, we have this CTO and we have this CISO. If those two individuals agree on a strategy, boy, we can be pretty sure that's the right course of action, right? Because those two individuals, they're expected to work together as a team and they're going to hash it out and they're going to spar a little bit, but they're going to work it out, you know, and, and that the executive management team can be 
expecting they can they can have certain things that are requirements like if we're going to buy this new system i want to see a procurement justification statement for that okay if we're going to go buy this new piece of equipment show me the engineering and implementation plan why the hell would i buy it if i don't have an engineering and implementation plan to demonstrate how this organization is going to actually use it Right. right. The intake process needs to say who's going to support and maintain this. When you bought this canned solution and you didn't, it didn't come through IT, who's actually going to get the call when, you know, it's down? Right. I, I was looking at a, um, an SOW recently that was for a migration of an accounting platform. And the, the hours involved, um, was was fine right i didn't i didn't foundationally have a problem with the uh the quote um my problem was with all of the sow detail i mean a lot of the stuff that was in the sod the sow was just i would i would argue is ridiculous in that it didn't protect the customer it was what i would call a pathologically one-sided sow where the um software company the software consultancy was just saying you know, you're going to give us all the passwords, you're going to give us un unobstructed access, you're going to give us, you know, you're going to bend over and take it, you know, you're just going to do everything. And there was, there was nothing, they didn't do any disclosure about, you know, okay, um, you're, you're going to need to provide us, you know, secure vendor access. And, you know, this is what we'll do and we'll produce documentation for you or whatever. Like, I mean, there was nothing in there and they didn't even say how they were going to set up role-based access control inside of Office 365 because it's completely inappropriate for them to have global admin. I mean, I could go on. I could have spent like, I, it probably would have taken me an hour to write up all of the things that were wrong with this SOW. So here's the fundamental problem. When an organization doesn't have a mandatory enforced by the management team policy that the CISO will review all of this junk before somebody signs it, the organization is inherently denying themselves the protections of their own brain trust. Right. So my advice at the time was, whatever you do, please don't sign this because it really does not protect your interests at all. Like, I don't have a problem with the dollar amount of the quote because, you know, it's a lot of work. I totally right. get it, you know, but I have a problem with that the customer's interests are not represented. I'll give you another uh, another contract example that happened. I was uh, dealing with another contract for a SaaS platform and I looked through it and I'm like, okay, these provisions in this contract just need to be changed because these things are completely incompatible with the company's um, cyber insurance policy. Okay, so guess what? We're not going to do that. And I and I was going to that SaaS company and I said, I need you to change this contract because whatever is in the contract, that's what everybody's held accountable to. Right. Right. And they're like, oh, well, we can just put it in our CRM. No. No, you're not going to just put it in your CRM and then somehow mystically every time your support people are contacted, they're going to somehow look in the CRM and, and act in accordance. No, we're not going to do that. No, just change the contract, right? And, and so I go back to this whole point that the only person involved in that organization that caught that issue 
was me. And I mean, I could go on with a dozen more issues like that. It's just a foundational key piece that the, if the executive management team wants to actually really save money um, by not having stuff screwed up on the back end and then have to retrofit it, they need to have all of that stuff vetted by the CISO or the security architect and and have it signed off. You know, I another huge SaaS platform just in the last 12 months didn't have any MFA on it. There was no provision for MFA in it. I, there's another one I can think of. I, just off the top of my head, at least two that didn't even have MFA. There was no so, MFA enforcement mechanism on it. When um, when the intake process kicks off and you want to buy something, right? And you and procurement gets involved, that's where these controls need to be. Um, and, and you know, we break it down by platform. Is it compute? Is it PaaS, IaaS, SaaS? And so if it's a SaaS solution, here's the list of things. You know, there's far less because, you know, you're, you know, paying more for a lot of those things to be handled by the provider. But you must use MFA on the break the glass account. You must use SSO. You must get uh, contract language that um, if there's outage, they're going to report it. If there's a breach, they'll report within whatever our timelines are. You know, make sure... And, and send that back to procurement because often they're the time, they're the ones looking at the contracts. You know, um, I love your idea of having the CISO look at them, but I, I in, in the world I'm in right now, that wouldn't be sustainable because they have a whole procurement and legal team dealing with that. And our CISO, um, probably his head would fall off. But so what, uh, but giving them the criteria so that when they look through it, oh, there must be DPA clauses and, and, and this must be in there because the users of the system are GDPR and, you know, but as a security group, thinking about what you just said, all of those things that have gone wrong. All right, let's write them down as we find this stuff and let's build this into the controls that need to be in place before it gets through procurement. It, it well, doesn't even get a security assessment yet because this garbage oh you don't support mfa on the break with glass account i'm sorry we can't do business with you right right why so, so you know it, it there is no one right way to approach this but i think what we're getting at is that there that these can this checks and balances has to be there and it can't be this pressure perception about like, we have to do this sale. We have to, you know, do this. We have to do this. You know, I want to move fast on this, right? Because when you move fast on the front end, then it takes a horrendous amount of money to fix it on the back end. I mean, it's like, I don't understand why people don't understand this natively because how many times have you heard somebody say, hire slow and fire fast? So they understand this with regards to employees. You know, there's all of this, I think, right. thought process that says, oh, we're going to hire this consultancy to do this, or we're going to hire this uh, SaaS platform to do it or whatever. And then now we're going to somehow transfer our risk. Not so much. You're not transferring your risk necessarily. What you're doing is you're now losing control. And when you lose control and the risk is there, you now have bigger risk because you don't have the ability to fix it. And you may not even know. You don't and have you visibility. Know. Right, right. So 
Um, I think in the the scenario you described, something that I've done in the past that that would help a lot. Now, I I really think that you know your idea of absolutely capturing all of those um, past learnings and having those constantly feed into a um, policy and process that the legal team can use, you know, that the procurement team can use. That's fantabulous because what you're doing is is elevating the operational maturity of the entire organization, creating policy process. It doesn't matter who on the team is doing it. They are able to um, go, no go, you know, and vet stuff out uh, very efficiently. And, but I still hold to, I think there's either got to be a security architect that's like partnered with that team or it, depending upon the size of the organization, they need to have the CISO looking at that stuff because I've had so many experiences where you're looking at an organization with 10,000 employees and I'm the only one that catches the problem. So- Yeah, I, I mean, at least it's coming to you, right? I mean, in some cases, um, you know, I think I think security departments have, have realized by now that pure, procurement is is the place we need to hook on because if all of our processes have uh, people have avoided them uh, put it on their credit card you know and expensed it um, procurements where we're gonna learn about that risk you know oh why is somebody paying for a SaaS solution on their credit card <laughs> I, uh, I have to bring up another example and then get your input on it so I had a circumstance where, uh, and I'm going to name names here on this, not not like you know customer names, obviously, but I will name the company Trimble. Okay, Trimble is a software company. They have about 8,000 employees. They have a product called TMW Suite. They have a, a slew of uh, public-facing resources, including um, SaaS platforms, APIs, and things like that. So... <clears throat> um, the a client that we had, they had a customer of theirs want to utilize faster EDI, right? Electronic data interchange. They wanted to use this faster EDI. It's more, you know, more real time. So of course, instead of it being EDI based, it was going to be API based, right? And uh, and so you know, I'm aware of OWASP API top ten. You know, I've got. Um, I've got wall arm scanning, you know, vulnerable APIs and resources and things like that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was bad. <laughs> um, this thing was like the antithesis of security. And when the executive management team was interacting with their customer and their customer was saying, I want you to have this in place with Trimble so that it can meet a specific, you know, contract requirement we have. And, you know, our contract with you is contingent upon having this be in there. When the executive management team does not have a mature process for having all of that stuff actually vetted, tested, uh, vendor risk managed, standards, processes, policies, you know, like, okay, when they don't have, when they, when they do not have a process that says these things need to happen before I decide I'm going to buy that, they're also denying themselves the understanding about how much that is going to cost. So now they can't even price the service 
to their customer effectively. Now, I, I want to hone in on this for another moment because I've had so many customers over the years that will have these custom business line applications and they have no understanding about how much of it, because they do really poor cost segregation, right? They're just like, oh my God, IT is so expensive, you know? I mean, like that, that's like as deep as it seems to get. They don't understand that 58% of their costs are from these business line applications right here. And but are you, you act do business without them? Yeah. And, and what actually is your economic value in the organization by having these things, right? And so, so again, I go back to executive management cannot make informed, they can't even make informed pricing strategy decisions. It's not just risk management, it's pricing strategy decisions because they don't understand these things here actually cost me this much. You know, 58% of the IT budget is this garbage here. Gee, maybe I ought to be looking at, what if I put that in SaaS? Well, the SaaS is like more expensive from a licensing perspective, but it's much less expensive in terms of, you know, total cost of ownership and, okay. and. And then they're also not able to look at it and go, okay, this thing costs me $9,000 a month, whatever this thing is. Am I getting that kind of economic ROI out of what it facilitates in terms of services to our customers to the point where I'm justifying that expenditure? And you see, this is the math that I never see them do because I, to, to this day, I have yet to actually see a CFO get to that level of detail. And they're not asking these questions and they should be asking these questions. They should be segregating costs based upon workload and the economic value that that workload is delivering to the organization and how that affects the pricing strategy of the service that is delivered to the customer using those workloads. Yeah, hmm. that's tricky. Did I just blow your mind on that one? <laughs> yeah, I was I was following and I'm thinking, yeah, okay. So as part of our solution we offer, uh, yeah, you need to break it down uh, by volume, cost by whatever unit. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't know, girl, sounds <laughs> tricky. But I managed to do it over and over and over. I managed to do it consistently. But the thing is, is I can only do that cost segregation tracking when I'm allowed to. And I just and that be up, told stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah, right. And and so I I just like I know for fact that you know, presidents of business divisions, CEOs, so forth, they cannot make effective pricing decisions when they're trying to analyze how should we price this product? How should we price this service? How should we price this contract? They can't do it because they've got no idea what the costs are that go into it. You know, there's just this like myopic vision that's like, 
oh my gosh, IT is so expensive. And then they just like launch all of the IT in there. And they have at the CFO level and even on the inside of the accounting department, I've never seen it to where they have the level of knowledge about we're buying this thing and it's correlated to these workloads. So therefore it's related to this product or service that we deliver to customers. Have you ever seen that? No, but you know, when, when everybody's, you know, done moving everything to the cloud, right? And you've properly um, resource grouped all your stuff. I feel like just from a practical standpoint, um, getting the true cost of ownership for something uh, will be easier. But also um, now that you've got a run rate, as opposed to historically, you bought, you bought a server, you know, took you um, two months to get it through you know, requisitions, whatever comes in, you, you stand it up, you build it, you finally implement your service and now it's running and you can run it until, you know, either support ends or if you really don't, you know, you're living risky, you can wait until it catches on fire, right? You can run it to the ground. I, I feel like the more we move to the cloud and there becomes this operational run rate, I feel uh, a little bit encouraged that companies are going to see that giant bill, right? They thought it was going to be really cheap, right? But once they see this giant bill, they're going to go, wait a minute, do we really need this? They're going to make some of those. Do we need three different ways to do this? I know this, this partner likes this, but we're paying for three. Uh, I feel like in the future, just that eye-opening uh bill will cause them to put processes in place. Hey, you're over provisioned on this service. You're barely using these resources. We're going to take it down. Or I don't see any legitimate traffic connecting. Are you even using this anymore? I feel like the hygiene and the, uh, I feel like leadership is going to have a much more, um, involvement in what goes in the cloud down the road you know instead of let's just move it there really quick because it's the cloud and it's going to be great so once they start seeing this run rate is enormous uh, hopefully some of that gets flushed out i i think i think you're in pollyanna vision land there i might be Be, because what i have specifically seen in terms of behavior uh, i mean i remember talking to like the head accountant and asking the head accountant, what was the collaboration between IT and accounting with regards to, you know, bills? And the person goes and says to me, oh, yeah, dude told, just tells me to pay the bills. You know, I mean, like my head is no. like detaching from my shoulders because there's no business process that says, you know, that this thing is procured properly, that there's a procurement justification statement, that the people who uh, are who who are the resource consumers are going to have that linked to them, so it is charged yeah. back to their business unit, and that we better darn well be able to identify the business process or the business requirement for that expenditure, uh, or it shouldn't get paid. I mean, like I've literally encountered just in the last 12 months, at least $400,000 worth of spending for which there was no justification for that spending. Okay. And that's not unusual. All right. I'm I'm straight up. That's not unusual. And that exists and that occurs 
simply because of this attitude I articulated before, which is executive management is I'm too busy to have governance and accountability throughout my organization. We don't really want to be operationally mature. Okay. So we're going to try and find someone who's the one throat to choke. I hear that command over and over I again. I love that. Yeah. I want to find the one throat to choke. I'm going to try this. I'm going to find this person. I think I can trust them. You know, I play golf with them. They come to my house. I like them. <laughs> okay. And, and I'm just going to delegate everything to them and then abdicate involvement. Right. And, and I sit there and I come along and I say, you know, we need a team approach with this. And that team approach is, yeah, you're never going to know what I know, but here's what you can know. You can have two of us, right? You can have the CTO and you can have the CISO and you can have these people engage in an operationally mature process where there's a procurement justification statement. There's an engineering and architecture plan. There's an implementation plan. There's a cost justification statement. The resource owners are identified, you know, on and on and on. Here's how we're going to do BCDR. Here's how we risk assess this thing, right? Here's how this thing fulfills the mission of the organization. You know, whatever those things are like, document the heck out of it, because that is how you have operational maturity and business continuity. And it's also how you have accounting, accountability and governance and oversight, right? So if nothing else... The executive management team can be doing at least two things. They can be saying, one, did the documentation get done? And okay, they, let's say they speed read it at 300 words a minute. Fine. I'd rather they speed read it at 300 words a minute than not look at it at all. Okay. I, if you got to smell test it, um, you know, I'd rather you smell test it than not look at it at all. Okay. Uh, so like if somebody is saying this is our BCDR plan and it's three pages long, that doesn't pass the smell test. <laughs> okay, That does not real world true story. I'm, I'm not kidding. That happened. Okay. Step one, <laughs> scream and run with their hands flailing Two, go home. Three, unemployed. <laughs> it's the it's our new continuity plan. So, so the, you know, executive management team needs to be doing two things, right? They need to be looking at whether or not this documentation is passing the smell test. And then other thing is, let's have a team approach to this. What does the CTO say? Okay, what does the CISO say? Now, notice I'm not saying go talk to Joe Snuffy, IT support technician in the IT department. Okay, I got to go back to a point you made earlier. Business executives cannot make informed decisions based upon the input from yes people. So one of the most impactful things is to have in your employee someone who's completely willing to walk away at any time right? because they don't need that job. So what they're going to do is they're going to interact with you in a way where they're going to be, sure, we'll be polite, we'll be diplomatic, we'll be professional but they're not going to snow job you. They're not going to lie to you about it. They're not going to intentionally misrepresent it because at the end of the day, they care more about their ethics and integrity than they do about making you happy. It sure would be nice if we could write into our employment contracts, the farther up you are in security leadership that, yeah, I get a, uh, a parachute for a couple months. If I leave because I don't like the position I'm being forced into. Well, there because, have, there have you know, been because, CISOs that have quit over that. 
Because, you know, I mean, nobody wants to go uh, report this devastating news that's going to cost the company, you know, millions of dollars, right? But the cost of not reporting that and not reporting it accurately is far more expensive. And like you said, if you're not willing to say, this is the news, as, as unpleasant as it is, this is the news. Don't cover it up. Don't change it. It is what it is. If you're going to fire me over it, fire me. Right. So I, I want to pivot to a, a fascinating article that was published on um, Dark Reading. The uh, author of the article was uh, Jay Vigian. And I have to say that I am normally not that impressed <laughs> with any articles about the IT community. Uh, however, I think Jay did a really good job with this article. And he reported in there, uh, it was basically reporting on an IANS survey that was conducted um, with 663 security executives. That's a pretty darn big pool of security executives. And fundamentally, uh, you know, surveys showed that while more than 63% of CISOs have a VP or director level position, only 20% are at the C-suite level, despite having the chief in their title. And, and that, so what this leads to is that security is not seen as a C-level function and that the right people aren't at the table. Now, a previous conversation, well, and, and I just want to say one more thing about that. Um, Jay reported in this article that 75% of CISOs are looking for a different job because their I job sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a C and name only. Right. Um, and you feel that they have articulated well, like say the board doesn't really know about security and, and they, they say they want to do the right thing. Right. But they don't have the technical capacity to understand then Go get Deloitte or somebody to come in and tell you what the CISO role should deliver and what metrics you can measure them by. And then have your CISO report on those KPIs. Look, how long does it take us to patch a critical? How I mean, think you know, how many systems are not running our our core, you know, security tools, AV and you know, vulnerability management, and and hold those numbers, right? Okay, at 80%. Well, why is it 80%? What are you doing to close the gap? Well, we've implemented a process. When we detect it, it creates a ticket. And yeah, right? I mean, if you don't want to know anything else and you want to just look at, you know, red, yellow, green, stoplight charts, fine. If that's all the level you want, but but make sure that you, the board and the CISO fully understand this is how I'm going to measure security. And, and this is, how I'm going to communicate because if you're seeing name only and you don't have a seat at the table, when they say, you know, when you come with your risk register and they're like, well, how could we have known that that was that important? Well, you know, I, here's, here's what I did. I told you about it. And you guys said, no, we need to run fast with sharp objects. And, and now we're in trouble. Well, I didn't make a decision. I just told you the news. So um, those articles do scare me, though, you know, I mean, <laughs> hearing about CISOs going to jail, you know. Um, 
Well, so, you know, you don't actually need to hire Deloitte. So if somebody thinks that they got to spend money on a, uh, you know, on a... I'm sorry. Okay. I know I have a, I have you... a, a terrible name for them too. And I won't say it, but um, they were just the first thing that came to well, my mind. I'm well, sorry. you know, a subscription <laughs> to Infotech Institute is extremely valuable. I mean, all of that documentation is basically already done. They I mean, got to do the work though. Well, uh, I mean, isn't that true across the board anyways, right? Um, I, I just, I don't ever want to see budget going towards theater, okay, that isn't actually moving the needle. You know, I mean, like, you could just get a subscription to Infotech Institute, download some stuff and go, hot bingo, that's what I need. Either that or I, I would prefer, go hire Evan Franson, okay? I mean, like, you know, FR Secure, Security Studio, okay? Like, if you need somebody to tell you what a CISO role should do, Go hire Evan Franson. Don't hire Deloitte, please. Don't hire Deloitte. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. But, you know, the whole dashboard thing you talked about in the KPIs, I really feel like this, it feeds directly into the necessary and mandatory governance accountability and the facilitation of the CISO and the CTO to be on the same page. Okay. So if we had simply a dashboard, that was based upon the KPIs that the organization has determined through their their own rubric, okay, of this is what we want to have in our dashboard, then, and, and you need a dashboard, in my opinion, to make it so that here's the, the CEO, here's the CTO, here's the CISO, they're all seeing the same thing. And then as they communicate mission objectives to their teams, the teams are able to look at it. Right. So if you've got a team over here that's dealing with the ERP and they went and fixed something, they need to have the opportunity to go check tomorrow morning and go like, oh, yeah, the dashboard got updated. Right. That vulnerability doesn't exist anymore. This is now rectified. It's now on, you know, the dashboard is like dynamically being fed um, right. by broken down by business process. Right. I have the dashboard drill down into business process and then further down into the systems that make up that business process. So that why are 60% of your assets out of compliance with vulnerability management? Oh, because our whole ERP package is end of life. We're not getting patches at all. So yeah, it's all red. And then, you know, they can say, whoa, this is our most critical application. We need to do something. But you know, if you don't measure like that and you don't present like that, you know, I don't know how leadership could actually make effective decisions. I don't think they can. So I want to I want to pivot back to something you just said here. So I was thinking about her team reporting because I'm so fixated on governance and accountability because it works. OK, <laughs> you know, yeah. governance, governance and accountability just works. So if the dashboard was showing things based upon a, a team, like um, the, this is the accounting department's assets, this is the marketing department's assets, right? This is the, you know, this particular branch office's assets, whatever, okay? So if the dashboard was showing thing on, like on a kind of a resource group, resource owner grouped perspective, now this matches with they are seeing their shame. You know, if you have this branch and then exactly 
branch and a and up. branch b now they're in competition with each other they're like oh our stuff looks like a poop sandwich and um and so then they're going to start pushing that initiative and pushing that priority so instead of so to me this is demand side economics okay <laughs> when you have your internal customer you know the the people at that branch saying our branch assets are 16 years old we, we need them fixed okay they're demanding it now you're engaged in this conversation about yeah it's going to cost this much to fix it can i get your authority yes you have my authority okay now we've got what you always need in order to get things done it's called the shared responsibility model it's not just it's problem what i like about it is um often the the owner say it's hr data say hr systems it's their process right and all their different systems they have and we've got a dashboard and it shows all their risks, right? Well, they may say, vulnerabilities aren't ours. We don't own that risk. Your security, you fix it. Oh, actually, these are yours. These are yours. And uh, dirty secret, security doesn't fix anything. I mean, sorry, we tell you what to fix. We aren't fixing your systems. So go out and, you know, and I think it's that visibility, like you said, it's like, having a, a family with four kids, right? And everybody has a dashboard of what chores they did and how well they behaved. And then the mom says, dad, let's look at these scores every week. Oh, Sally, you're horrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the, the uh, transparency there of everybody looking at it and it's not opinion, it's not subjective, it's not emotions, it's this is the fact. It's data. You know, and they'll say, well, this, this, these are dev systems. Come on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't I matter. I hear that a lot. Oh, I hear that all the time. <laughs> oh, we're, we've migrated to a new platform. Well, why is this one still on? Well, because we got these three customers that really like it. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, when are we going to turn it off? Maybe like three years. Everything's three or five years from now. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but until you can show on a dashboard with widgets that they like, that there's risk. And then when leadership sees that and they say, who owns that system? And it's that thorn in your side. And then they go to him and say, why are you, why do you have 2008 servers in our environment? What are you doing? Well, right. you know. I I really genuinely think we have, we have nailed it here because, because what we've identified is the methodology that drives the everybody being on the same page. And I mean the entire organization, right? The resource owners, the executives, the, uh, the delivery people, the people who are delivering the change to those systems. Uh, sometimes they're delivering the change to the customer, right? Sometimes they're delivering the change to other parties in the organization, right? But they're part of the whole problem ex solving execution team they're gonna but so you have to have this partnership between overall organizational management says these are our priorities so the priority can be completely simplified by saying i am really tired of this dashboard looking like security shit show <laughs> the directive could actually be that simple yeah right and why hasn't the needle moved beyond five points in the last week i want to know Right. Well, take, for example, CIS. If you if you just commit to doing 
CIS controls, right? And you do a CSAT and you have everybody assess themselves and you tell them, be honest, don't be aspirational. You know, if you think that we're, you know, patching everything within 30 days, you're probably wrong. So, you know, take the totality of all the systems, the old stuff, printers, everything, right? And then fill out the CSAT and then get that graph, right? And then use something as simple as that because, okay, we want this to go from red to orange or from orange to yellow. What do we need to do to get that? Oh, we need to have a policy. Okay, step one, let's get a policy. Let's say if you own a system and you are the responsible owner, you will work to either patch it or, or find a custodian willing to patch it for you, but you will be the one named for that responsibility. Get that policy out there because then they can say, well, we've never done this before. Yep. Well, now we are. Here it is. Here's the policy. We're doing this now. And then you can start measuring it, right? Once you've told people, okay. And then say you did CIS control seven vulnerability management. One is know how to assess and monitor your stuff. And then you get to seven, two, and you say, how are you going to remediate it? Write your process out. We need your process in this documentation. How do you, how do you, I go to the people that run MECM or CCM, uh, SCCM and I say, build me a package or I use an automated tool or God forbid, we manually log on and patch, you know, what is your process? And then when you don't, you know, you start measuring and they don't follow that process, here's your process. Why aren't you following your process? We don't have enough resources. Okay, we're going to take that up. We're going to keep going up until that gets addressed. Governance, accountability transparency yep <laughs> i mean now that being said the the day they realize they're responsible for it i mean there's all this you know whining and crying in the background because you know for so long i think everybody's thinking it's somebody else's job you know i don't know how we got here i don't know why well, we have 2012 servers still in the environment i don't know well and and i just want to be clear that's not a one-sided that is not a one-sided problem, right? So I just want to make sure everybody knows we're not just ranking on the business people here. I'll give you some examples about where IT people are part of the problem. Um, when I see something that is going on that's wrong in a, um, you know, a business unit, I like to have a conversation with, you know, the manager of the people in that business unit. And I'll say something to them like, help me understand how I can help you so that you feel empowered, uh, skilled, and fully comfortable with being able to manage those people's behavior so that they can act in accordance with company policy. You know, maybe I can help you put together a, a seven-week goal for your entire team, you know, one goal per week. And, and I've had these meetings with personnel managers and it has absolutely solved the problem but but this is again why these sorts of things need to get escalated to the right level in in an it security capacity it cannot be handled as a ticket that's that's not a ticket right that's and and because otherwise you know the it department they'll, they'll be like you know the business people 
they never do the right thing, you know, and then they just sit in the IT department sometimes and just whine about, you know, how the business people oh. are always part of the problem. To be fair, when I say business people, I, I mean the internal IT business processes, app dev, uh, the, the, you know, rarely do we have a situation where something is owned and maintained by outside of the IT organization. It does happen, like manufacturing. It does happen, but, um, you know, the sales department usually won't go and stand up their own CRM without, you know, IT. No, so but, I'm talking no, but they about create the internal the business units. Yeah, yeah, but they're but they're still part of the problem too because if they they go all you know wild and go like, oh, we've spent three months doing product evaluations for this thing, and you see, they never got the right people involved to begin with. I there was a circumstance where. I got a uh, support ticket escalated to me about like, you need to make this thing work. <laughs> so I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is not a supported application. Like, what is this thing? Oh, and then, and then this, you know, the, the bag of who starts coming out where they're like, oh, well, you know, we've been evaluating these things to do the blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, how much time do you have into this? Because what you should have had is from the very beginning, a security risk assessment on it. And I swear to God, okay, like there was three months of angst with these people just because they kept trying to look at it as it was like an IT support ticket. It was like, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to fix this, right? They kept looking at it as some sort of a tactical demand instead of a strategic collaboration. So I go and I look at it within an hour, within an hour, I find 15 reasons why you should never use this bag of poo. Okay. So, so had they had the right people involved to begin with, and when I mean the right people, I'm talking about the people that have the ability to do vendor risk management, security risk management and assessment, you know, and, and procurement risk assessment, and actually understand all of the parts and pieces of what's going on inside that organization to say, you know, why are you trying to do this? Because this other business unit, they've already got an approved vetted solution. We could just add you to that, right? I mean, how many times do you see duplicated technologies? You, you were talking about it, right? Yep. So this, I, I feel like everything is a shared responsibility model and the problems exist on both sides. And all of those problems are resolved through governance, accountability, and transparency. Yeah. I don't know why people don't try it. It's amazing. <laughs> if you put guardrails in to prevent bad behavior from the beginning, boy, I mean, think of how much risk would be reduced if, you know, from the onset, hey, you can't open anything up from the internet until it's gone through this process. It technically isn't possible without getting through this workflow you're going to have a lot less surprises and, and work to, oh, well, it's already gone live. We can't, you know, we have a campaign against it. You can't take it offline. Well, it's Swiss cheese. It needs to be offline. <laughs> it's rotten Swiss cheese. <laughs> Stinks. <laughs> Fermented. Indeed. There's probably some mouse drool on it too. <laughs> But yeah, you know, and it, it's always, you guys don't understand the, we need to move fast. You know, we've got to get this done. So, 
So look, I, I, that goes back to a cultural thing that I've encountered quite frequently. It, you know, like I said earlier, okay, 95% of all of these problems are HR management problems. So I'll go on and talk to somebody and they'll say that the way that they manage their team is that they prioritize sales over everything else. So they're literally telling their team from an HR management perspective, if you have sales to do, go do that. Anything else is secondary to sales. Okay, so now email's out of control, their desktop is out of control, their voicemail's out of control, they haven't done their cybersecurity awareness training in, in 100,000 years, you know? Like, they don't have their multi-factor authentication set up, they're not on the company password manager, you know? I mean, I could go down the whole line of things. Like, they they have no idea what are what's actually in the company policies because they've never even looked at the table of contents. <laughs> so, so, you know, you can't have this myopic approach that says, everything else is secondary to sales. Like that isn't the solution. That can't possibly be the attitude. But that is the attitude that happens when you have owners who are saying sales, 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 sales. And then of course, everybody who works for them is going to seek to fulfill that mission. Yep, they're going to parrot that because that's, it's, it's like in engineering, innovation is king or in agile, a minimum viable product garbage. No, no. Let's not do the quickest, fastest thing we can do and start using it. I mean, that may be a great method for development, but if, like you said, if there were guardrails built in, okay, go as fast as you want, do your minimum viable product. But, oh, by the way, you need to check the code before it gets out of the stage gate. It's got to pass. You can go as fast as you want, as long as you're writing secure code, Go fast, right. but but governance, yeah. If 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 you could start from the ground up and just lay that governance, I just wonder what the outcome would be. I mean, how much easier would our jobs be? Well, it's it's not about our jobs being easier. I think that that organizations would have more profitability simply because they would be wasting less. They they would their waste would go down, um, like okay great example i mean i'm just filled with like a hundred thousand examples on these things i remember this con this this scenario where um because of his poor prior planning there was oh we have to buy this thing and so then the conversation happened with people and it was like well you know we can do this quick and everybody agreed okay so it, it was done above board there was transparency there was sign off on it and all that okay then it gets in there and it, it meets the needs, right? It was perfectly fine. But there's one person who decides that they want to be nasty. And they start engaging in um, uh, toxic behavior. Okay. So that one person's toxic behavior probably wasted, I'm going to say, in excess of $10,000 worth of payroll from all of this internal toxicity when it was that person's argument that the company had paid $200 too much. I'm not even kidding you here. I am not even kidding you, but here's the, here's the part that like, will just take you and want to, you want to take a fork and stick it in your eye. Nobody at the executive management team, did anything about the toxicity 
they let it they you know so i so when you know i know for a fact that that executive management rarely wants to deal with political infighting they just don't want to they want to run the business they want to manage the company they don't want to do hr management this is why they hire people to manage people cuz they don't want to manage people <laughs> okay yeah people are hard it'd be easy without people <laughs> and and so my position is that if you have operationally mature processes where you have governance accountability and transparency then you have this accountability piece where that person who wants to stew up that sort of toxicity, if they start that game, then everybody else around them has the opportunity to say, stop your bitching. This was done according to the process. Everybody was involved. Everybody knew what was going on. There was a procurement justification statement. None of this was under the table, you know, like, and, and that, you know, the, the procurement justification statement would have said, well, okay, this is going to be $200 more because we got to order it on the hot shot. <laughs> not, not because somebody's like, you know, trying to rip the company off for $200 is because you had to order it on the hot shot. Um, you know, it, I don't know what else I can say about it. It's just like every, I've been looking at how organizations function for the last 30 years. And I think all of their problems are correlated with a lack of governance, accountability, and transparency. Because if you have governance, accountability, and transparency, you're inherently going to have operational maturity. It's just going to happen. I think when some people hear, um, you know, governance, risk, and compliance, and, and the like, they think... Um, a mountain of administrative red tape, yep. right? Yep. But if they realized, you, you mentioned the cost savings, right? If if there was just governance around um, the useful life of applications and making sure that those things are still in use, you could sell GRC to, to executives based on cost savings. This actually will reduce waste, right? If you have a process that says, before any app comes in the environment, we're going to make sure that it goes through an architect review, not a security architect, an enterprise architect. We, why do we have 12 project management programs? No, we don't need another one. Here's our established one and here's you know one off. Pick one. That's the choice. I don't care if you use Monday.com at your previous job. We're not doing it here, right? I mean, if if you can give those, you tell the story, right? Like, you have a lot of examples. If you go and you show them with that example, you know, I think I think anyone who's implemented GRC probably on the flip side goes, man, how are we managing all this plates in the air and all this uh, non-standard process before? How did we how did we get anything done? And now, you know, hey, when we bring somebody into the corporation, they learn these are our processes. So, uh, but you that, do have that Sally that is, it's been this way and I'm not doing that. I, I've never done it. And you know what? And, and I think what you do with those people, 
I mean, if you don't fire them fast, but if you keep them, <clears throat> what you do is make them the change management person. You make them actually responsible for that thing because they're the ones that will poison the whole project, right? You yes. know, you know, those people I've, I've never had to do this before. I'm not doing it now. Mm -hmm. Well, you say, you know, your information, your contribution is so valuable. We're going to make you a, uh, a lead on this change in implementation. You go out and you tell people why this is good. So I love your idea of having the enterprise architect also um, vet these things like SOWs. For because, usefulness, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. well, not just that. No, no, not just that. Okay, because in, in a lot of cases, when I'm, when I'm speaking as a CISO, I'm also speaking as the security architect and the enterprise infrastructure architect because... I, I wear all those hats. And there's many times that I'm looking at an SOW from another service provider or a SaaS platform provider or something like that. And I'm like, I've done that project before. That's baloney. <laughs> or, or um, you know, what they are proposing here is incomplete. You know, or the way that they are um, they're trying to establish guardrails in their SOW doesn't protect the customer, you know? And so what I'm saying is that in order for someone to actually be able to appropriately vet that SOW um, or that contract, they have to know how to do the work. And I'm not saying that they have to know how to do all of the work, but they've certainly got to know it looks like a duck. It smells like a duck. It's a duck. And I know these are the problems that happens when you have ducks and, oh, that's masquerading as a goose over there. And I think that's masquerading as a swan. And this over here is a Muscovy. Okay. Like that's not a duck. <laughs> and, and geese are mean. So there's that. <laughs> but, you know, so like a, there's a lot of CISOs that are out there that don't come from the infrastructure architecture space or the security architect space they don't have that that background you know i mean when I, I, what would be really interesting is if somebody did a, uh, a a survey of the technologies that cso's still actively support and implement because you know what you did 10 years ago is clearly not as relevant as what's happening today right and and the problems of 10 years ago they still exist but there's new problems today so i think one of the things that helps me a lot is that i still work on all of the technologies you know and that's yeah. um, i i i agree i i feel like um, the landscape and security changes so fast that if you, <laughs> I want to be grounded in reality in, in some aspects of firewall management, perimeter defense, uh, identity. You know, I want to keep my foot in that only because it's relevant, right? I mean, things change so fast. If you, if you can't, yeah, I, I, I've heard the arguments for not wanting a technical CISO and, you know, and the, the pitfalls that somebody who has come up through the ranks. Um, but honestly, I don't think they can understand risk if they can't understand the technological impact, right? 
I mean, you could have a seemingly very unimportant service uh, go down and it could, you know, poison your DNS, whatever. There could be things that they aren't really going to understand how impactful they could be. Uh, okay, so you just unless they a- could depend on quality people to help them understand those risks, you know. You've heard my position on this before, but I'll say it again. I have to live in the reality of the way that people have meetings, and most of the time, executive management doesn't want anybody other than executive management in that meeting, and and you you know you. You need somebody in that room who is executive level, who they see as a peer, not as a director level, but that they see as a peer who's therefore allowed to be in those meetings and who then can instantaneously off the top of their head say, do that and here's why or that's or you know you can't do that and here's why like no don't you know because this whole concept of suggesting that the executive management team who wants to make decisions really quickly uh, is going to pump the brakes and wait for somebody to go and confer with the security architect (laughs) and then come back later on you know um and, and the other reality that I've seen, and I'm always working from, you know, my own real data points. So everything I say is like real world examples here. This is not theory at all, is I see the behavior of some execs where they'll be like, oh, well, the report that the security architect generated, that's just, you know, it's just long garbage, you know? It's just long garbage. Now, on the yeah, other prove hand, to me that those are actually actionable is the other thing. Prove to me that this vulnerability is actionable. Hmm. Well, that, do we go down that rabbit hole? Well, so when I, if I'm in the room with those decision makers, it's a lot easier to educate them if you can do so verbally. The report is required. Right. We have to have governance, accountability, transparency. People have there has to be that business continuity, that knowledge transfer, that uh, point in time justification for this is why this is being done. Right. It can't there, there needs to be that formality uh, because that's part of operational maturity. But if you're not in the room with them and you're not able to say just off the top of your head, bad, good, yes, no, and here's why. And then their their attention span doesn't exist. Okay, that right. report's never going to get into their brain. And that's why I find that having a non-technical CISO, I don't find it to work in the least bit. Because we're talking about humans here. And it's either egos Okay, either the egos will not allow a situation where the CISO's like, well, I don't know, I got to confer with my team. Okay, what they're CISO's going to say, say that? that? They're not no. going to say that. Correct. And worse yet, they, they're going to say what they think they want to hear. Well, well, okay, you're absolutely right. Because if you, if you don't have a phenomenally deep 
command of a topic with a, a deep authoritative understanding of it, then it's going to be very difficult to right there in that meeting, put the hand up and try to put some brakes on or at least redirect the train. Um, because, you know, I mean, you're accountable to whatever it is that you say, right? And when you're, when you're giving them the bad news, because it's, you know, most of the time it's bad news, um, you know, it's an unpleasant job to deliver the bad news. But that's what it is most of the time. And you can't deliver the bad news or you can't tell them, you know, because they come back with, well, well, can't we just, no, can't, you just can't do that. No, the answer is no. Can't we just, no. I don't know about you, but I've been beat down <clears throat> ever since I've been in security. Um, if I go deliver some bad news, all right, hey, a zero day came out and it's, it. 70% of our external facing stuff uh, needs to be patched, rebooted, all that. <clears throat> I have gotten over and over and over in my career. You come with bad news. I want you to come with the news and how we're going to solve it. Sometimes, you know, yes, I can do that, right? Oh, well, there's a patch. Apply the patch. And yeah. But sometimes it's... <clears throat> deep in the application and there's something that I, it's not in my skill set, right? You know, uh, that you need an app engineer or, uh, you know, somebody who's responsible for it. And so they'll, there's this kind of like, you can't tell me anything bad if you can't tell me how to fix it. Because uh, uh, to a non-technical person, you know, they're mad that you've raised their fear, uncertainty and doubt um, without, you know, here's the path to happiness. So I always try and think of that now. Every time I go tell them, I'm like, all right, and I've been thinking, and here's some ways I think we can solve it. Well, I, th I think there is some legitimacy to that because in general, I think that management training probably for the last 60 years has directed people managers to push back on people that you know, bring them things. Uh, and, and I, and I feel like they're not necessarily differentiating between, um, here's the bad news that I need to tell you in a timely fashion. And I haven't had enough time yet to formulate right. a solution. Yeah. I okay. want to communicate to you because right. it's the responsible thing to do. And right. now, uh, now that, you know, I will go back and, and do right. diligence on right. what we can do to solve it. So, so I think that's one type of, um, you know, I think that's a category and I think entirely too many times managers are just answering everything in the same way when they've been trained, you know, people managers have been trained to go like, stop your bitch and come to me only with solutions. Right. Right. Be because there is legitimacy to stop your bitching. Okay. Right. There they is don't have infinite hours to hear all your ramblings. Right. Exactly. Right. There's absolute significant managerial legitimacy to tell people to stop whining and complaining because that's where a lot of that toxic garbage comes from. So it, it's, wow, well, you know, that to me is like, oh my gosh, now we could pivot to Ken Blanchard's situational leadership. Explain that. Go down that rabbit, rabbit hole. <laughs> um, so I, just one other comment I'll have with you on that, which is that, that you know, you were talking about being beat down. I, I think that, managers also must be especially executive management and owners of companies 
must be aware. They need to be very, very sensitive to how they react to things drives the entire behavior set of the organization and the people who interact with them. That, that it has a, due to the nature of their authority and position, it has an outsized effect. And I've seen that backfire innumerable times. Like if I see uh, an owner of a company who every time somebody brings him something, their response is, show me three quotes from three different vendors or whatever, right? Th show me three quotes. Their response is not, show me the requirements list. Yes. Show me the procurement justification statement. Show me you have an engineering and implementation plan. Show me how this meets the needs of the organization. Okay. That's, that's not what they're coming with. No, no. They're like, show me three quotes. Which so what one's cheapest? Let's, well, let's go with this garbage. Well, they're telegraphing that that is the only thing that matters to them. So whether or not something is actually going to be sufficient for meeting the needs of the organization, that really isn't relevant. And so I've seen so much money wasted from that because they just buy wrong or they buy the wrong stuff. So it's either wrong stuff or they're procuring it incorrectly. Like, I'm going to make it look cheap over here. I'm not going to include any of the warranties or service contracts. And then a year later on, oh my gosh, we have all of this unsupported junk here. And now you have to pay a lot more to get the warranties and service contracts when you could have bundle packed it over here. And I mean, I'm talking about the difference between something like, you know, 28,000 and 60,000. You buy it. So it's the correct stuff, but you buy it the correct way. It would have cost 28 grand. You buy it the wrong way, it costs sixty thousand. Yes. So, ex so executive management gets exactly the outcome that they manage towards with their attitude. It's pretty, pretty profound. <laughs> well, you know, I I get to sit on both sides of the table, right? Because I have to service people but I'm also an owner of a company and I, and I'm able to see how effective the strategy that I put forward in my company is. And I don't promote yes people. You know, I, when somebody is like, Oh, you know, we're going to do this. I'm like, well, pff, you know, show me these things. And I'm not starting from cost. Cost is like one of the last things that's get evaluated. I'm more interested in what's the burden rate of this thing. I mean, like, if you're going to procure something, the first thing that goes into my mind is how are we going to patch it? What's the total cost of ownership of that thing? What, what's the life cycle management plan for that thing? What's the one year, two year, three year, five year cost? You know, I mean, this is where my brain goes. Like, I'm not going to buy anything unless I've got all of that figured out, because otherwise you just are literally not making an informed decision. I, ha I had one of my employees uh, was like, Oh, yeah, we should do da da da. And I'm like, I see how that makes your life more convenient, but that makes mine a living hell. <laughs> and so like you can you can think that that's better for you, but it creates the single point of failure. We don't have a single point of failure now, so that's not helping the company. 
um, your approach is going to increase our, our the, the labor associated with maintaining systems, that isn't moving the company in the correct direction, right? So I just said, oh, that's never going to happen. I'm sorry if you're a little tiny bit inconvenienced. Suck it up. That's part of your job. Go back to the drawing board. <laughs> no. uh, oh my goodness. Okay. Well, this was uh, this was a blast. I think we uh, we covered and we thoroughly covered this topic, and it's fascinating how sensitive to human behavior solutions must actually be. We have to live in the realm of reality uh, in order to actually be you know, effective in, in maintaining and mitigating and selecting the right things, making sure they're implemented correctly with the right processes and guardrails around it. And are there operationally mature companies out there? Do they actually exist? <laughs> hmm. I, you know, I, if you, I always think if you could just start over from ground zero, right? How easy it would be. Well, this is why it's so much easier to effectuate positive change in a smaller organization. I mean, you can sit down with people and actually have a face-to-face -face conversation or a, you know, a web meeting to web meeting conversation and, and really collaborate in that shared responsibility model. And, you know, you're interacting with people like when you deal with a business owner directly and you save them, you know, 10 grand. Oh, they're happy with that, right? They want to have a discussion about what's my total cost of ownership with this. It seems like the larger the organization and the more distance exists between the people who are making decisions and the owners, the worse the decision-making gets. I mean, like, I remember finding a um, $300,000 waste technically it was fraud in an organization in my opinion it was it was a financial fraud conducted by a director and i was having a conversation with one of the executives because i happened to be having lunch with that executive and i brought this whole point up and i said you know my perception is that this person has committed financial fraud against the organization they basically had manipulated things to put thirty thousand dollars of a bonus in their pocket but it cost the company three hundred thousand okay true story i kid you not this executive looks me in the looks me in the eye not an owner okay not an owner was an executive though looks me in the eye across the table at lunch and tells me quote this company pisses away that much money every day Okay. And, 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 you know, so I let it go, but in my mind, I'm thinking, is that the conversation you're now going to have with the owner of the company? Because I got to say, if I was the owner of that company, I'd be thinking to myself, I could justify then in one day, the salary of an individual who would do nothing, but find waste in my company and fix it. Yeah, just because both things may have been true doesn't make them right. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been tough to swallow. You're reporting that. <laughs> it makes me kind of think maybe the executive you were having lunch with may have 
also partake and I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think that they probably knew what was going on and, and that's where it comes down to, you know, do they have time and energy and emotional capital to be able to go do an investigation and find out the cause of the problem and then discipline that person. And I mean, I've just seen it as a pervasive attitude across the vast majority of organizations I've ever interacted with where managers don't want to investigate. They don't want to investigate. And by not investigating and finding out the truth and then taking action on the truth, they enable and facilitate destructive toxic behavior across the organization. So if we accept this reality that managers don't really want to investigate and they don't want to deal with, you know, annoying, um, irritating, time-consuming, toxic behavior uh, amongst employees, then prevent it from occurring to begin with. Put governance and accountability and transparency in place so you don't have to deal with that stupidness. And we know that this is possible because the Japanese have been doing it since, what, 1946? 1947? Okay. Give me a year. You know? <laughs> you know? Like, I would you know, love it if you did a whole topic on that. Um, because as security practitioners, I think we often interact with uh, some of those toxic people um, and when uh, at the heart of it, we're coming at you with change, right? We're reporting something and to fix it requires a change. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've wondered how they've been able to, you know, continue to have their job. Because if I came into the organization and I said the things they say, um, for example, there's this one person who just continually says, I'm not doing that. I'm never going to do that. I'm not doing that work. I, you know, I'm like, is it really that easy? Can I just say that? I, I'm not going to do that, <laughs> you know? I, but like people over time have not wanted to invest in correcting the person and saying, hey, go. our culture doesn't tolerate that. When you calm down, I'll come back and talk to you because nobody invested. Everybody's afraid. And, and they'll say things like, well, that's just how he is. You just give him some space. Do I need to build time into my work to give yeah. him a timeout? Right. I mean, I, I'm just communicating the news. Yeah. I just want confirmation he's going to yeah. do it. And, and, you know, I, I do oh think gosh. that, that with all the other worries in security that, uh, yeah, training us on how to deal with difficult people would really be a good skill set. So, so I, I, you just hit like one of my hot buttons of all time right there, which is that, you know, as a service provider, I'm interacting with decision makers who want things to be efficient. They are, uh, you know, they're looking for a flat rate service contract quote for a particular thing, and uh, in a lot of cases. I, I either can't give them that or I have to have all of these like, you know, yeah, but, you know, in the SOW because their organization is so dysfunctional, so in, you know, 
and most of these organizations are quite dysfunctional. I'm actually astonished by how many of them are actually making money. Amen. <laughs> and so the the lack of operational maturity, the lack of them having addressed those personnel issues, you know, proactively when they came up, nip them in the bud, the lack of proactively establishing a culture that says there will be accountability. That has all of these other far reaching effects. We can't get changed through the organization. We can't fix our problems. Um, our expenses on projects with vendors are very high uh, because we can't have effective interactions with them. We things can't be efficient. You know, it's like, uh, you know, our do how many hours of project management or account management or damage control management, you know, has to occur. And then take it even further and. If you have an organization that festers, promotes, and tolerates toxicity, you now have a culture who wants to hold on to every email under the sun. And you now have an accountability problem. Or, or on the other side, of the, you, you have people who just absolutely refuse to have anything in email. You know, and now their communication methods are completely hampered. They can't effectively communicate. Um, you know, so it's like you end up getting two extremes and neither neither method is actually complying with the company retention policy and the comp and the you know the the document and content classification and retention policy of that type of data right nobody's in compliance because the culture tolerates non compliance It's I ridiculous. feel like I work today. Just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, I, I look at like, oh my gosh. Um, if you can just actually have a meeting with somebody and, you know, everybody's actually coming to the table saying, hey, our job is to row the boat in the same direction. And right there in that meeting, we're going to be efficient. We're just going to hash out the details you know, you're going to be responsible for this. You're going to be responsible for that. This other person could be responsible, you know, like, and I'll do this, you know, just hash it out right there. And then you go away from that meeting and you just get stuff done. That is how things work. And it, it, it can work. But then there are those people who refuse to participate in the shared responsibility model. You know, I, I, I've been astonished by um, people who will spend all this time doing all of these emails uh, explaining why they won't do something as opposed to the the one hour task to do the instead thing of just do it yeah exactly and that kind of toxicity the fact that it's not getting nipped in the bud is is a management failure you know i <clears throat> i was told uh in the past about this person whose bad behavior we were going to tolerate because, you know, they bring in so many sales. And I said, Hey, you know, you know, I, I'm not going to sit in judgment over sales data, whatever. But what I am going to say to you is that supporting this person and their small little office carries eight times the cost of anybody else's office. In fact, the cost of supporting this two person toxic office is vast 
vastly higher than a 10 person office. So unless the sales that they're generating and the, the, um, and the dollar amount you're charging them back compensate for that, then you have a problem. So, you, oh my gosh, this goes back to what I said earlier, expense tracking, correlate the expenses to the service or the product and use that in the pricing strategy. I think most larger organizations do a horrifically pathetic job of that. And in fact, I think they intentionally try to swage the costs across the entire organization to spackle over the, the poop show that's sitting in this business unit and the profitable business unit ends up carrying the load for the unprofitable toxic business unit. I, I see it in every larger organization that I deal with. And it's perpetuated, I think, inside the finance department because they're not requiring cost classification and cost segregation and chargebacks across the board. And I mean, across the board, right? right? They might do it on a partial basis for the things that, that are really easy for them to track, but they're not doing it across the board. And it could be done, absolutely, because I do it. We, we toyed uh, with this idea, um, if a team wouldn't, uh, couldn't patch their systems, right? For example, patching, but um, couldn't mitigate risk, that we would take that on at the time of our choosing, and then we would charge them back for the, the hours it takes. Like, you know, and it's like, well, we're not really staffed to go into that, you know, and then if we break it, they still are on the hook, right? We can't support it, you know, but I like the idea of tying the costs of non-compliance back to them, right? Like say we needed to, you know, segment their stuff more, isolate, you know, add a firewall, whatever, add some other security and control and there's cost, go tie that back to them, charge it back. Yes. So you can say, all right, you know, you guys, because you won't, maintain a life cycle you won't keep up on your stuff you know right your run rates higher yes absolutely well fascinating conversation thank you so much for your time um i think we've smoked this one uh and i i hope that it shall be used by uh, many security architects and CISOs to uh elucidate their tactics for how to deal with difficult people and difficult organizations or at least feel heard, you know, we know. Yes, we do there. feel their pain. <laughs> yes. <laughs>